You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. If you haven't been with us so far uh, through it, uh, we've been doing um, kind of a summer in the Psalms, looking at all of the, the different emotions uh, that we experience and face as humans. Uh, at some point in your life, you will I guarantee, experience the, the full spectrum of human emotions. And so we're doing a series called Emotions and Devotions, just looking to see how all of our emotions can lead us to a, a deeper devotion in the Lord. So we've looked at sorrow, uh, we've looked at joy, um, and today we are going to focus our attention on fear. And um, we're going to do that by looking at Psalm 34, um, so if you would, go ahead and turn to Psalm 34. Uh, we'll just be looking at the first half of the psalm, verses 1 through 10. Um, so go ahead and turn there, and as you do, let me pray for our time this morning. <clears throat> Father, I just get excited each and every time that we have this opportunity to, to gather and study your word, and because there is so much power in your word. There is so uh, many just life-giving truths uh, to be found in scripture, Father. So as we just dive back into the Psalms today, uh, we do so trusting and even expecting that you will reveal yourself to us this morning. We, we trust that you will show us more about you in this psalm. Uh, and more about how you have created us, and more about how you have, uh, how we can be more deeply devoted to you. So I just ask uh, that you would be with us th during this time as we study uh, this passage. And I ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Uh, so here from the word of the Lord this morning, Psalm 34, verses 1 through 10. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look at him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who take refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This is God's word. So just about every day when I wake up, there's two essential parts uh, to my morning routine. I go into the kitchen and I drink some coffee. That's number one. Uh, and then I, I normally sit down. I guess there's three parts to my, my morning routine. I go into the, the kitchen. Um, I read some coffee. I sit down. I study God's word. Um, and then not long after that, before I come into work or before I, I do anything else, um, I read the morning news. 
Uh, I'm sure many of you have very similar uh, routines. Uh, maybe you read a physical copy of the newspaper. Uh, maybe you turn on the TV and you watch the morning news on TV. Uh, or maybe you just listen to it on the radio as you drive into work. Uh, for me, I have a news app on my phone, and I just kind of scroll through all of the headlines that are going on around the world. Uh, and my wife can attest to this, but about once every couple of years or so, I just end up getting so frustrated by all of the news that's going on that I end up just deleting the app off my phone uh, and, and just not paying attention to any of the news. I just kind of go, you know, you know, there's just radio silence for a few weeks because uh, I just get tired of all of the negativity. And maybe you have had similar moments like that. Because uh, it seems that anymore, whenever you read the news, that all of the headlines are just about whatever new war is going on or the latest natural disaster or whatever the, the latest uh, political scandal is. Uh, you're, you're not usually going to unfold a newspaper just to, to see uh, headlines and pictures of a bunch of cute babies and, and puppy dogs. Uh, it, it's always something negative. And, and the reason for that is because the media knows that fear sells. You know, if a news headline tells you that everything in the world is going good, all is fine, that gives you no incentive to read it. But if the headline leads you to believe that the world is about to end and the apocalypse is upon us, well, you're probably going to be more persuaded to buy that news article or to stay tuned to that radio station uh, to see what they're talking about. Politicians have long ago picked up on this idea as well. Both the Democrats and the Republicans uh, in any uh, campaign cycle, if you listen to any candidate's uh, speeches or, or the interviews, uh, the, the Democrats will have you believe that, you know, the country is just going to fall to pieces if a Republican gets elected into office. And the, Republic, the Republicans will tell you the same thing in reverse, that it'll be the end of the world uh, if a Democrat manages to win. And what both sides are trying to do is to motivate you to vote for them out of a sense of fear of what will happen if you don't. So fear is a powerful motivator. It's a good moneymaker. Every year, millions of dollars are spent to counselors for people trying to overcome different phobias. And at the same time, millions of dollars are also spent on people, by people who actually want to be frightened. You know, people that want to go to haunted houses or watch horror movies or go to amusement parks and uh, get on thrill rides. You know, there can be a, a powerful adrenaline rush that comes with being frightened, and many people find it exciting. So, so all of this means that fear is a pretty complicated emotion and one that Christians must wrestle with and decide, what are we going to do with? Should you be afraid of being afraid or should we embrace our fears? You know, what, what does the Bible tell us to do? Should we avoid it or should we uh, embrace it? Is it a sin or can it actually be good for us? 
Or does it really just depend on the situation and the kind of fears that we are facing? Uh, These are all questions that we're going to try to answer as we work our way through this first half of Psalm 34. As we'll see, King David, who wrote this psalm, was a man who was well acquainted with fear in many different seasons of his life. As we look at what the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, we'll see that there are three guiding principles that David would have us keep in mind uh, whenever fear comes our way. The first one is this. David would have you to remember to praise even when you're afraid. Remember to praise even when you are afraid. Uh, In other words, there shouldn't be an absence of worship in your life uh, just because you're going through a season of anxiety. And to understand this principle, I think it would be helpful to kind of understand the background behind this particular psalm. Because if you look at the very beginning of the text, uh, even before verse 1, David inserted a note to let us know uh, what was going on when he wrote this psalm. He he said he, he wrote this text Uh, during an an encounter that he had with a man named Abimelech. And Abimelech was the king of the Philistines. So let's talk a little bit more about why that might be significant. You know, why would David want you to know uh, that he wrote this psalm during his dealings with Abimelech? Well, the more you know about David's life, the more you know that his life was pretty complicated, Uh, He was originally anointed to be king by the prophet Samuel, uh, but there was just one tiny problem with that, and that was the fact that Israel already had a king, King Saul. Uh, But King Saul had already been rejected by God because he had failed to put his trust in the Lord, and so the Lord chose David instead to replace him. Uh, But even though Saul had been rejected by God, uh, David was still unwilling to just overthrow him as king. Uh, He wasn't going to create a a civil war and just depose him. David was patient to wait and let the Lord take care of Saul in the Lord's own timing. Uh, But this patience came at a cost for David, uh, because even though David was unwilling to try to kill King Saul... Uh, Saul was perfectly fine trying to have David put to death. In 1 Samuel 19, uh, we're told a story about where David, uh, he was actually performing for Saul. Uh, He was trying to play the leer for him. Uh, But in the middle of that performance, Saul gets so upset. You remember how the story goes. He gets so upset that he hurls this spear and he tries to pin David against the wall. And when that didn't work, Saul then even sent soldiers into David's own house at nighttime to try to kill him in his sleep. David's wife actually had to create this dummy out of goat's hair uh, to try to act as a decoy so that David could escape in the night. And this is actually where this man named Abimelech starts to come in, uh, because David at this point, was forced to flee from his home country. He left Israel, and for a time, he went to go live with Abimelech in the land of the Philistines. Now, I'm sure that you could imagine just how difficult this must have been. 
I'm sure David really felt like he was stuck between a rock and a hard place. He couldn't live in Israel anymore because Saul would just keep trying to, to kill him if he did. But David, if you know anything about David, he wasn't exactly liked among the Philistines either. I mean, he'd fought many wars against them. He'd killed one of their greatest warriors, Goliath. Uh, and we're even told in 1 Samuel 21 that when David fled to go to Philistia, uh, he didn't have a weapon to take with him because he had fled in such a hurry. So he was forced to, to go and, and take the sword of Goliath. So he took Goliath's sword with him into Philistia. So, so David moves into enemy territory carrying with him one of the very weapons that he used uh, that was used by one of his enemies and, and the weapon that he used to kill that enemy. So, of course, when he arrives, Abimelech, the king there, wondered, what in the world is going on? Why is David coming into my land? And so, of course, he demanded to have David brought before him. So, you just feel the tension in that story. And you might be wondering, if you didn't already know how this story plays out, you know, what, what did David do? You know, what, what would you do in a situation like that? I mean, if he stayed in Israel, he was going to be killed by Saul. But now that he's gone to Philistia, it seems like he's going to be killed by this other king. Well, well, this is what happens. You read about it in 1 Samuel 21. We're told uh, that David was much afraid of the king, that, that is Abimelech. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let spittle run down his beard. So that the king then said to his servants, behold, see, this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? So David literally had to fake insanity and drool all over his beard just to avoid being killed. And in the midst of that whole strange ordeal, that's where David writes Psalm 34. So as we read verse 1, that has a great depth of significance to this verse when he says... I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips. David says that he's going to bless the Lord at all times. Not just during the good times of his life. Not just when things are going well. But even when he's afraid. Even when he's terrified because he's stuck in enemy territory. Even when he's not sure how much longer he has to live. David says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. For I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Never been in a situation that could even remotely compare to what David was going through, where I had death warrants from multiple kings. But, but I have had those moments in life where I did feel like I was stuck, 
between a rock and a hard place and where I was just completely overwhelmed by fear because it just didn't seem like there were any good solutions to the predicament that I was in. There just didn't seem like there was any way forward. And if that's you this morning, then you need to know that David, he's not writing the psalm to tell you uh, exactly how the Lord is going to deliver you from whatever uh, fears you might be facing now. Uh, but he, he is writing this text to you uh, to, to tell you to remember that even in spite of whatever you are facing, he wants you to remember to praise the Lord even when you are afraid of what is going on. Even when you're afraid, he wants you to remember to praise and before we move any further into the text, let me just give you a couple of reasons why you can praise God even when you're afraid. All right, first, you should praise God even when you're afraid, because no matter what fears you might be facing, you'll never face anything more than Jesus, what Jesus has already faced. I mean, just think about the life of Jesus for a moment. Think about him in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're told there that Jesus's soul was so troubled on that night before he died that he was literally sweating drops of blood as he prayed. Jesus knew that when he went to the cross, the full fury and the wrath of God the Father was just going to be poured out on him. He, he, when, when he would take our sins upon himself, God's wrath was just going to sweep over him. And that naturally was a terrifying prospect. And there was nothing wrong with Jesus being uh, anxious about what was going to happen on the cross. I mean, that would be a natural human response that any of us would have felt. Um, if anything, it's actually a testament to Jesus's courage that he continued on his journey to the cross, even in spite of the gut-wrenching anxiety and trouble that it caused his soul. But, but no fear that you or I will ever face will ever compare to what Jesus already experienced that night in Gethsemane. And if Jesus could continue to honor and glorify the Father every step of the way to Calvary, then we can continue to praise God as well, even when we're afraid. But, but there's a second reason why you should praise God, uh, even during darker seasons of life. You should praise God that because Jesus was delivered into the hands of Pilate and the Pharisees, then we can be delivered out of the hands of sin. Because Jesus has already faced the greatest fear that anyone could ever face, which is to be handed over into the wrath of God, because he did that, we can rest assured that that is one fear that we will never have to face if we have submitted our lives to Christ. So, so no matter what you're going through, and no matter how frightening it may seem, if you've submitted your life to Christ, then even when you're afraid, you can continue to praise the Lord. But now there's a, a second principle I want us to see as we move on in this text. Uh, praise even when you're afraid, 
but also remember that fear can protect you as long as it doesn't paralyze you. Fear can actually protect you so long as you don't let it uh, paralyze you. Look back at our text, starting in verse 5. David writes, Those who look at him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So when David cried out to the Lord while being in exile from his home country and being forced to live in enemy territory, he said that God saved him out of his troubles. And then he gives this picture of the angel of the Lord, which is a figure uh, that's depicted all through the Old Testament, who regularly uh, came to intervene on behalf of God's uh, people. And he says that the Lord's angel encamped around those who were God-fearers, and he delivered them. He, He circled the wagons, as it were, in order to protect the people of God, including David. And any time you are forced into a frightful or a stress-inducing situation, fear will always lead you to do one of two things. It will, it will always do one of two things to you. It can paralyze you into inaction if you're not careful, or if you can keep it under control, it can actually protect you. You know, they've done a lot of studies uh, to show what actually happens to the body uh, when we are put through stressful uh, situations. When we perceive that there is a a threat or some kind of danger, uh, it causes our bodies to produce excess uh, adrenaline and we become hyper alert and we're ready for action. Uh, That's what they call that flight or uh, fight uh, instinct. Uh, And that's actually your body's way of trying to help you and even protect you from potential harm. And there's nothing innately wrong uh, with that feeling of fear. It's part of how God designed you. I know we often associate this kind of emotion uh, with, you know, something that's negative and that we just want to avoid. But like the rest of all of our feelings, Fear was created when man was first created, meaning that it was around even before the fall. When when Adam walked the garden with God, he had a healthy sense of awe and respect and fear of the Lord. And when that serpent first slithered into Eden, Adam should have feared it as well. He should have perceived the dangers associated with it. And that fear should have led him or caused him to go running to the Lord so the Lord could take care of that serpent. I mean, if you were walking in the woods one afternoon and you came across a venomous snake, having a healthy amount of fear could actually save you. Because that fear instinct would kick in and would cause you to back away from the snake. But unfortunately, that's not what Adam did. He stayed too close to the serpent for too long, and he was deceived by it, and he fell into sin. And then after that fall into sin, in Genesis 3, we're told 
that rather than continuing to fear the Lord, suddenly Adam and Eve were afraid because they were naked. Suddenly they're not fearing God anymore. Now they're afraid for all kinds of other reasons. All kinds of other fears are suddenly rushing into their lives. And it's been that way for humanity ever since. Fear is healthy when we let it protect us from harm, but it becomes a problem when we let it paralyze us. God designed for it to spur us into action and to get us out of harm's way, but when you let your fears overwhelm you, it can actually have the opposite effect. It can actually cause you to freeze up and be unable to make a decision. And that's you know, what's happening uh, in, in those moments Uh, What's happening then is that you are forgetting about what David wrote about in this psalm, that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. If you're a follower of Jesus, then the Lord has his wagon circled around you in order that he might protect you. But whenever you let yourself become paralyzed by fear, what you're doing is you're, you're ultimately failing to keep your faith focused on God. You're forgetting that that he has encircled you so he can protect you, which means that your fear problem can very quickly become a faith problem if you let things get out of hand. So we're we're supposed to remember to praise even when we're afraid uh, and to let fear protect us, not paralyze us. But there may be a question that you're asking yourself as we, we talk about all of these things. Uh, and, and that's how. You know, how in the world are we supposed to do any of these things? Well, this is where we get to a third principle that David has for us. Uh, and that's that you should remember that freedom from fear comes from learning to fear the Lord. Freedom from all of your other fears only comes when you learn to fear the Lord. Look back at our passage, starting in verse 8, where David says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Then he says, O fear the Lord, you saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So how do you keep yourself from being paralyzed by fearing the things of this world? How do you continue to praise even when you're terrified of the situations in life that you're facing? Well, it won't come by just trying to eliminate your fears. Rather, it will come by redirecting those fears. David is urging you to replace any of your unhealthy fears that you have in this world with a healthy and godly fear of the Lord. Which means that we got to talk about, you know, what, what does that mean? What does it look like to fear the Lord? And what it doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you are scared or afraid of God. Instead, it means that you are in awe of him. Uh, And the best illustration that I can give you to show you what I mean uh, comes from uh, C.S. Lewis's children's book, 
from the Chronicles of Narnia series, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Many of you have probably read that. You're probably even familiar with this. Uh, but there's a great conversation between uh, two characters in that first book uh, by the name of Susan and Mr. Beaver. Mr. Beaver uh, is telling Susan about Aslan, who is the king of Narnia. And he tells Susan that Aslan is a lion. And as soon as Susan hears that, she gets nervous and she says, Oh, I thought he was a man. Is he safe? I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And then in response to that question, Mr. Beaver then replies, Safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. Now, this is just a children's book that C.S. Lewis was writing, uh, but this part of the story was clearly intended to be an allegory uh, for us to learn more about the Lord. The Bible describes the Lord as a lion as well. Uh, he's called the Lion of Judah. And like any other lion that you might see running across the savanna, of course, the Lord isn't safe. He's got teeth. He's got claws. He is powerful enough to take down any other would-be predators. So, so, of course, he's not safe. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you worship some kind of domesticated or docile deity. God is not safe, but he is good, which is why David invites you in verse 8 to taste and see that the Lord is good. But before you come to know the Lord, it's easy to have this view of God that sees him as just this angry old man with a beard. You know, he's kind of like that cop that's just sitting out there staring at his radar gun, waiting for you to go one mile over the speed limit so he can pull you over. You know, it's easy to, to, to think about God as just writing this Bible that is full of laws and he is just waiting for you to break one of his commandments so he can just pour out his wrath on you. But, but if that's your view of God then you're not believing in the God of the Bible. If that's how you understand who the Lord is, it means that you haven't yet tasted and experienced him for yourself to see that he is good. That's why David goes on to say, blessed is the man who takes refuge in God and those who fear him have no lack. The Lord may be a lion who is to be feared, but if you have given your life to Jesus, then you are one of that lion's cubs. You, you are one of the Lord's lion cubs, which means that you aren't God's prey that he is going to try and devour. You are his child that he will fight to protect so, so, so be in awe of God and his might and his power, uh, just like you would be seeing the, the strength of a lion if you saw one running past you at full speed. But also take comfort in knowing that if you have submitted your life to Christ, then 
God no longer fights against you. He is fighting for you. You have a lion on your side doing battle on your behalf. And the more you understand that, the more you come to better be in awe and just in revere and fear the Lord and just be in awe of the lion of Judah, then the more it'll actually be that reverent fear of the Lord that will drive out and deliver you from all of the other fears that you face. Which is why Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want wisdom, it starts by learning to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because if you want to understand how you can have freedom from all of the fears that you face, it starts by learning first to fear the Lord. That's where wisdom really begins. True wisdom is not having faith, which is always just being overwhelmed and overrun by fear. It's about having the kind of fear that actually leads you to have more faith. And that's the the kind of healthy, righteous, and godly fear that I pray that we would all seek and pursue, uh, not just today, uh, but in the days to come. So let me pray. Father, thank you so much for um, a passage like this. Uh, thank you so much for, for just what it means uh, to, to fear you, Father, and, and follow you. And, and I just want to echo, Father, just the, the words to the, the song that we uh, listened to earlier, that, that when we are in fear, that our faith might fail Father, I pray that we would just remember that it is Christ who will hold us fast. When it feels like Satan has the upper hand and that tempter might prevail, Father, I pray that we would just remember that it is Christ and it is Christ alone who can hold us fast no matter what we face. So, Father, please don't let us continue uh, to be tossed back and forth in in the waves of, of fear or sin. Rather, let us just place our faith in you and fear you alone, Father, so that you might be the anchor in the midst of our storm and so that you might drive out and deliver us from any other fears that we face. So if we fear you, Father, then there's nothing else that we need to fear. Um, I just ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.